Good morning, Leslie Abbott. Good morning, all those who are watching remotely. We're going to be focusing on prayer this morning. And the way we're going to go about it is we're going to have a variety of songs that Evan will be leading that may or may not be specifically prayers, but they are related to the thoughts we should be having, the approach we should be taking in prayer. And then we'll have some passages that are just, we're going to discuss that I'll lead us through that are focusing on different avenues of prayer. So with the first passage here uh, this morning that you can see on your handout, if you don't have one of those, they're in the back. We often call this the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. So let's take a look at that. It's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus here speaking said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, that's fairly familiar, but look for a moment at the order that's given to us here. The first three portions of that prayer say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first three petitions, the first three portions of the prayer are focused on God. They're focused on God. Only after focusing on God does Jesus move on to the requests that you and I might have to give us our daily bread, to forgive us as we have forgiven others. Uh, and it's often, I'm afraid, in our prayers backward. We spend so much time, and I'm speaking personally here, focused on what I need, the things that are on my heart, the things that I want to make sure God knows I'm looking for, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for, that I need fixed or helped in my life, and not nearly enough, I believe, on praising God for who He is what he means to all of us and the universe. When he says, our Father in heaven, starting off, our Father, that really ought to settle several relationships. It should settle my relationship to the unseen world. In the time Jesus is speaking this, there are people in the first century world who believe there are gods and demons everywhere that one fear a pagan person might have is, have I really offended some god or some power because I don't know their name? When Paul is in Athens, he comes across an altar trying to get around that that was to the unknown god, to anyone we have forgotten about. Jesus starts off this prayer he's teaching his disciples by pointing out that the only god that is, is our Father. We don't have to worry about any of the other unseen realm, whatever that might or might not include. It settles that relationship. I don't worry about the unseen because we have seen Jesus walking the earth. We have known Jesus walking the earth. And once we have seen and known Jesus, we know and understand the Father. It also settles the relationship to the seen world. I don't have to worry about anything I see because 
we have our Father who is in heaven. Since God is our Father, it should settle that relationship to each other. God being our Father means that you are my sister, you are my brother, we are family. It also settles that relationship to ourselves. You know, so often, so, so often, we are so terribly hard on ourselves. We might well forgive someone else for something they have done to us or they've done to someone else. We're willing to extend forgiveness and grace to other people that we would never think of allowing for ourselves. We think of God as a, a giant policeman, a giant judge in the sky with a big stick just waiting to smack us on the head for a mistake we make. Well, God doesn't want us to make mistakes. God wants us to grow and mature and live for him, but he's our father. And a father is supposed to be someone that loves and cares for his children. And whether or not we've had a father here on the earth that's like that, our father in heaven is, is like that. There's a parable Jesus tells of the father whose son took the inheritance and went away and wasted it. And the son eventually comes to himself, realizes the mistake that he has made, and says, I'm going to go to my father. And while he is still coming home, the father sees him and takes off running to meet him. In that story, that father in the parable is God. God loves us enough that when we make the decision to begin heading back, God meets us on the way. So our Father settles that relationship we should have to ourselves. And really with all of these relationships being settled, it should settle that relationship to God himself because he is our Father. It's also our Father in heaven, in heaven. And so think about that for a moment. It should remind us of the holiness of God. God is our Father, that is correct, but that should never be taken to cheapen the relationship, to, to familiarize the relationship. There's no one else that we have any kind of relationship with who is in heaven. God is holy, different. He is not, pardon my familiar expression here, to be trifled with. He's our father, but that does not mean take advantage of that fatherhood, that love of God, to ever take the fact that he is in heaven and different from all of us for granted. Also, we cannot forget the power of God. This is the God who spoke the universe into existence. The fact that he is our father should not diminish the power and the holiness, the differentness of God. Then we hear and see this phrase, hallowed be thy name. Most of the time if we say the word hallowed, it's part of the idea of Halloween. I mean, that's probably the most familiar use of the phrase hallowed. All hallows eve, some people will say Halloween. But here what hallowed means is, is that we knowing the kind of God and, and being that he is, we need to be aware of and obedient to him reference. When we say your name should be hallowed, it should be set apart. It should be recognized as holy. 
We should recognize that you are different and worthy of praise and honor. We need to let God be given the reverence and uh, that he deserves because of his nature and character. We then see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Both of these describe the way God's kingdom comes about. Someone has said before, Lord, revive the church, beginning with me. The only way God's family is going to be revived, the only way the church, the gathering of God's people here on the earth is going to grow and succeed, starts with me. Why can't God and all these other people fix these problems out in society? Why can't the church address those? How about I worry about starting the revival by reviving myself? I focus on God. Lord, revive the church, beginning with me. Lord, bring in the kingdom, beginning with me, beginning with me. To pray for the kingdom of heaven is to pray that we may submit our wills entirely to the will of God. So who's first in my life? When I pray to God, do I pray for all the stuff that's going wrong in my life? Or do I pause and pray to God and praise Him for being the powerful, loving God that He is, worthy of our praise. So with our first prayer this morning, we're going to pray to God, praising Him for all of our goodness, and that's going to be led by Howard.
continuing on with our thoughts on prayer, over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul starts off by saying, first of all, you know, that phrase occurs several times in the Bible, and I always want to stop and pay attention to it, because the idea is, this is important, in the first place. You know, if somebody's talking to you and they say, well, look, in the first place, it's one of the things that's high in, the, in their, their heads, high in their thoughts, and they want to make sure they share that with you. So Paul here in chapter 2 says, first of all then, speaking to Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions. Well, today, who would that be? Who would be the focus of prayers with Paul's statement here? Well, certainly mayors of cities, governors and presidents. Did you notice Paul didn't mention anything about political affiliations here? It doesn't matter. We are to pray for mayors. If you have a, a, a local mayor of a city, even a smaller city, or the governor of the state, or a president, we should pray for them. It would also involve council members, congressional representatives, or senators, people involved in the government, or who prayers, supplications, intercessions, and thanksgiving are to be made to God. We should be taking the names of the people who are involved in government before God. Why? It is not to raise the property tax rate or lower the property tax rate. It is not to clean up all the trouble that that other group is bringing to my neighborhood or to my state or to my country. It's not for most of what passes for political discourse, if there is such a thing these days. Paul gives us the reason we take the names of our mayors, our governors, our presidents, our council members, our congressional representatives, our senators, before God's throne. What is that reason? All layers of government. Look what he says. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Not for some earthly purpose or advantage, but that we may live as God wants us to, loving God and loving our neighbor. As a Christian, the only thing that really should concern me, and notice how I said that, as a Christian, the only thing that should concern me about my local council or the state government or the national government is that we be allowed to gather to worship God and that we be allowed to love God, to tell our neighbors about our love for God and what God has done for us, and to look for ways to love our neighbors by being kind to them, by making sure that any problems they have, we are first in line to help. So regardless of what feelings you may have developed, I may have developed outside of that purpose, I am to pray for all people who are in positions of power and authority. And that's been really difficult to convince to do, I'm afraid, these last quite a few years. We've got a lot of work to do here. 
Because Paul is making this statement in the days of the Caesars. Paul is making this statement in the days when one of the Caesars put Christians into wax and set them on fire after killing them to light his garden. I can't compare that to a tax rate being a percent higher or a percent lower. We need to refocus as Christians on the primary job we have, which is to love God and love our neighbor. And we should pray for people in positions of power and authority as Paul says, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So as our second period of prayer this morning, Jeff is going to lead us as we pray for all of those in government that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life as God's children. Let's bow together. Holy Father, we come before you with our heads humbly bowed at your greatness. We're here today to sing your praises and worship you. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that you would watch over them and care for them. Father, we pray for the leaders of our world that you could help them to make the right decisions. We pray for Mayor Cooper and council members in this area that they can make the rules for our church. We pray that they can know your word, discern your will for the people in this county, that they can make the right decisions. Father, we pray for our, our governor, Governor Lee, Governor of Tennessee, and state congressman. They also can be righteous in your sight. Make the rules that, that you want us to follow. Father, we pray for our president of this country, President Biden, and the congressman that those rules they make can be righteous in your sight. Father, we pray for the leaders of all nations of this world. Next song is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear.
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. We certainly are to pray for people who are sick. But I want to point out that if that were taken 100% literally, exactly the way it seems to speak here, then I don't think anyone would ever die. Because the moment you begin feeling sick, call for the leaders of the church. And if you're taking this exactly as it's meant, the sick person ought to recover. Well, I don't know too many 2,000-year-old people who have managed to be healed of every physical illness by following this statement. So what are we talking about? What are we really talking about here? The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. We just read that. And the Lord will raise him up. Look how it continues. And if he or she has committed sins, he or she will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There it is. Pray for good health, but in so many ways, pray for the more important spiritual health. A prayer for good health may end up focusing the attention on that person and lead to a recovery. It's perfectly fine to pray, Lord, please heal me. Please heal my friend, my family member. Restore their health to them. So much more important, however, is praying for someone who is not in good spiritual health. Someone who has left following God and is living for themselves. When we pray to be restored to good spiritual health, which is really the focus here in James 5, you know, Sins that have been committed are forgiven when we pray to return back to God. Let's pray for both right now. Thurl's going to lead the prayer here in a moment. I want us to do something, consider it, you can do this if you like, a little different than we have usually done this. We have this convention that has developed in churches, I don't know when it first started, that when we pray we close what? Our eyes, right? One of the earliest memories I have of being in church is getting smacked over by my mother because I was looking around. Why do we close our eyes during prayer? It's to focus on things without being distracted. Ooh, there's a pretty light. Ooh, wow, that's a very nice suit this person's wearing. On all the external things that we see when we have our eyes open. However, if you were willing to try it this morning. As Thurl is leading our prayer, he's going to be focusing on our sick list, our prayer list, which I'm going to go ahead and put up. This is a list, if you can read it, that's about as big as I can get it, of the people on our prayer list. So as we pray, it's perfectly fine to have your eyes open and look over the names as Thurl focuses on some of them and see the people that we should be praying to God about to restore their health or to restore them to their position in God's family. So, if you're willing to do that, let's have Thurl now lead our prayer.
before we do our public prayer for the sick. I'd like for us to look at this list and say a private prayer. To pick out those that we know, those that we love. And say that prayer in our hearts. Say that prayer in our hearts. So let's focus on that prayer. Lost. 
Yet you pray for those that lost that cold wind, miss the flood, give them help, give them comfort.
Earl is speaking on the attitudes, and it's all part of that same sermon. We looked at the Lord's Prayer, which came out of this. Look over in chapter 7, 7 through 11. This is actually referring to prayer. Jesus here says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The way that's translated sounds like ask, and you're going to get it. The original is talking about a continuous action that's being taken. Continue to ask. Continue to uh, seek. Continue to knock. Don't say, well, I asked once and I didn't get it. So, oh well. Be persistent. Be persistent. If something's bothering you, if something's in your life, take it to God consistently. Don't give up. Why? what Jesus says next. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then he starts with a little section of, of this that discusses ways to know what God is like. And here's where the invitation is going to come. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he's going to give him a serpent? That's not a very good lunchbox. <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking for my bologna sandwich and there's a scorpion in there or something or a frog. Or it. Thanks, Dad. I used to put odd things in my kids' lunches just to have them laugh perhaps sometime. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a joke. We're talking about the care and love that an earthly father, an earthly mother would have for their children. Look what he says. If you then who are evil, here he doesn't mean evil consistently, but if you then here who fail, who do some things that are good and sometimes make bad choices, if we in that circumstance know how to give good gifts to your children, look at the phrase next, how much more, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I hope that I have been good to my children, at least more often than not. Don't ask them. I don't want to know what they think. But I hope I have tried to be good to my children more often than not. And if I, with the mistakes that I have made in my life, have been doing what I can to be good to my children, our Father in Heaven makes no mistakes. Our Father in Heaven loved us when we were sinners. Our Father in Heaven loves us, period. How much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? How do we ask God? We ask Him in prayer. Now, this morning, I can also apply that by saying, God will give good things to those who not only ask of him, but to those who hear his call to come home. We talked about the parable of the prodigal son, as it's known earlier today. The son had taken the inheritance, gone away, and wasted it, and became broke. He came to himself. He realized his mistake, which all of us need to do at some point. Got up and said, I will return. I will go to my father. When he decided to go home, the father forgot all about what he had done and simply was so happy 
very, very happy that he came home and he said, Father, I have sinned. That's what the son said. The son confessed his sin and the father forgave him. If you are not yet a member of God's family, you're still that child off in the far country. You need to come to yourself. Realize you're not living for God, but you're living for yourself and come home. God will, in a sense, run and meet you halfway because he'll be so very, very happy in heaven that you have decided to come home. If you're a member of his family, but looking at your life this last week, this last month, this last year, it hasn't been focused on loving God and loving your neighbor. This is your opportunity to say, I'm not living the way a follower of Jesus should be living. I want to change and make it right. This call, this call, coming to receive the good gifts that God has to offer. 